Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Oh, I feel good. I knew that. Right after you listen to today's uh, broadcast, I want to invite you to go to Mojo University, sign up, and start learning what you need to know in order to be successful in your career. That's mojouniversity.com. Go sign up today. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and I am really excited today to get to introduce uh, two really talented women uh, and authors of a great book that's just been released called Stretch, How to Future-Proof Yourself for Tomorrow's Workplace. I know we're going to have a great time really learning about the book and learning what uh, went on behind the book. Uh, let me introduce our guest. Uh, first, we have Carrie Williard. Uh, she is a workplace futurist at Success Factors, which is an SAP human capital software company. Now, Carrie is a keynoter, facilitator, and contributor at hundreds of events every year, from White House events to Fortune 500, and has great experience in the business arena, including uh, her her own uh, firm that she founded uh, called Jambok, uh, and uh, so I look forward to hearing a little bit more about that. And then our other co-author and guest is Barbara Mystic. Barbara is the president of Wilson College, located in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, she actually made history by pioneering the nation's first loan buyback program for college students, which I love that. She's a seasoned entrepreneur. Uh, holds uh, lots of degrees, as you'd expect, and a lot of background in business. And so I am so uh, looking forward to this. Welcome, Carrie and Barbara, to the Manager Mojo Show today. Thank you, Steve. Oh, thank you, Steve. My pleasure. Well, first, I want to ask each of you, uh, I'll start with Carrie. So, Carrie, uh, why don't you tell us what fun thing that you've been up to lately? Well, Steve, I'm going to say something, and then I'll have to see if you know what it is. I okay. have been playing pickleball regularly. Pickleball. You know pickleball I pickleball. do not know what, what that is. Okay, so tell us what okay. that is. It's kind of like ping pong on a small tennis court. So you either uh, mark a tennis court or uh, they'll mark off, they'll put lines indoors on a basketball court and create two of them. And you just hit a wiffle ball back and forth with a kind of a large ping pong paddle and run around and chase the ball. And it's got a little bit of strategy like ping pong does. And I, I heard you're from Arizona this week. So 
if uh, probably you've got dozens and dozens of uh, pickleball courts nearby you. You should try it out sometime. I'll have to try that out. I, uh, I've always, I actually grew up uh, playing a baseball game that my brother and I invented. Uh, rather than using a wiffle ball, we used plastic golf balls to sharpen up our hand-eye coordination. Uh, so I love those kind of things. That, it sounds fun, and I'll bet it would be a lot of fun to play. Barbara, how about you? What fun thing have you been up to? Well, we had uh, 33 inches of snow last week in that storm, Jonas, and so I did a lot of shoveling snow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you got to work out. you got to exercise. I got to work out and exercise, and that was really a fun thing to do. It's actually beautiful to be outside. There's something about, you wouldn't appreciate this, Steve, since you're in Arizona, but after it snows, there is this wonderful quiet that happens, particularly when you get that much snow and everybody has to sort of stay off the road and, and stay away to stay safe. And it's just a beautiful time to be outside. And uh, so it, w- it was wonderful. It sort of reminded me why I like the seasons. Oh, that it sounds like fun. I, uh, Northern Arizona gets a lot of snow, but uh, I don't get into it because I like the sunshine. And I have to tell you, you never have to shovel sunshine. So it's a really good thing. <laughs> very, That's very good thing. to look thing. forward to. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, Carrie and Barbara, uh, I'm really excited to hear about uh, Stretch and I want to, first of all, why don't you give our readers, or our listeners rather, a little background on just uh, what was your goal with Stretch and give us a little background about what it really addresses. Well, what we were really interested in, Steve, was trying to take a look at what Uh, people's concerns were in the workplace, their number one concern. And we did a pretty broad-based survey, so we we know that there's a lot of proof to back up uh, what we saw. And the number one concern that people have, and this is so important for managers that are listening, to, to have a sense of what people are worried about at work, and that is to stay relevant. People are concerned about the rate of change today. They're concerned about how quickly changes are occurring. Uh, just, you know, just last month in January, the World Economic Forum came out and said that they anticipate over 5 million jobs could be lost over the next decade. We talked a lot in our book about a study from the University of Oxford that found that one out of two jobs are going away because of automation. So there, there's just this disruptive period of time, and people are really feeling it. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was our premise, was to understand that people were a little nervous about being relevant at work, and what could we do to really help people feel engaged for the future. Very cool uh, premise. So obviously a lot of things really have been going on in the workplace, and we all feel that. Uh, but when, when you say uh, stay relevant, uh, what were your objectives in, in relevancy to, uh, as far as from the perspective of employees? Well, what we wanted to do was come up with a really practical set of, of, of solutions that people could use to stay relevant. And people told us that they understood that they needed lots of options, that they, they wanted to have not just one way to stay relevant, but many ways to stay relevant. So we studied, um, uh, we, we reviewed over a thousand academic papers, and we just did our homework, and we came up with five practices that we think are, are very relevant. Um, and so I'll give, you, I'll give you just one as an example. Okay. Learn on the fly. 
learn on the fly means, hey, we're all in the midst of working constantly. How can we improve how we learn while we're working? So essentially, Mm. you know, just being able to get a little bit more present and understand some techniques and strategies for learning on the fly. And we've got, you know, half a dozen of those. But we can learn, if we learn just a little bit constantly, we can stay relevant. And so one of the things to do is just constantly be learning, not by necessarily going to classes or not by necessarily having a mentor, although those are good things, but just getting some strategies for getting a little bit better at learning every day. Yes, I mean, that certainly uh, is a worthy goal for all of us, and I think uh, uh, you know, I advocate that you have to be a lifelong learner. Uh, you, you you can never feel like that you don't have to learn something else, something new. And uh, so I, I love that approach. So you're learning on the fly. But what what was your uh, what did your research show in terms about uh, the workplace today has become almost chaotic. Uh, people are in uh, meetings nonstop. They they have no control over their schedules, or at least they claim they have no control over their schedules. And so people are are feeling the stress of that. Uh, so what what was your research? What did it show in relation to those things? Well, what we saw was that people really feel like they have this looming sell-by date, that there's so much happening, there's all this disruption happening, but they can't really figure out how to integrate that into their days because they're just trying to keep up at work, exactly the kinds of things that you were talking about. So, you know, people said that one of the most valuable things at work was having a relationship with their manager. Mm -hmm. They said that if they had a good relationship with their manager, it made a huge difference in terms of their loyalty and their engagement at work. Uh, One of the things that we saw was uh, a survey from Gallup that said that less than 40% of employees are satisfied with their jobs. So for so many people today, it's almost, you know, the only reason they go to work is for the direct deposit part of it. And if that's your connection to work, then it's going to be really hard for you to stay relevant and and recognize this kind of looming sell-by date. Very cool. I know uh, I I have... uh been a part of that uh, that information from Gallup and seen it uh, over and over again in in companies. Uh, I, I guess the the question though, when you when you start looking at a sell by date, I, we we definitely have ha- have seen a trend of people are are really not staying in companies uh, for as long as they used to be. They're looking for new opportunities. Did your research confirm that and? If so, how would you, uh, how do you recommend that people really start to, uh, as your title says, stretch out their career and learn how to enhance and lengthen their career in this changing marketplace? You know, the, the, when we ask people, how do you stay relevant? How do you stay ahead of the times? The number one answer we got was, I hang around smart people. Well, it turns out, Steve, that hanging around smart people and having a really good network is what's also going to keep you uh, relevant and connected to new opportunities because it's no longer an era where somebody goes to work at one place and lives their whole life. In fact, we're probably moving towards much more of a gig economy where we do stints of work 
and then we move on to another. So it becomes ever more important to build a brand about yourself. So one of the things we advocate for is what we call Five to Thrive, which is find five people who are really just inspire you. Every time you meet with them, you get a new idea, or you find out something you didn't know before. You know, find those five people, make sure they're diverse, and then make sure you meet with them at least once a quarter. When, when I did this myself, I realized my people that are the five to thrive are not the ones I'm spending the time with that I should. So I needed to be deliberate about finding those five people because they'll keep me connected not only to staying current but to, to opportunities as well because I don't think anybody can take a mindset of I'm going to go to one place and work there the rest of my life. Yeah, I don't either. I, I, I see that as being uh, almost... Uh, you know, just something that happened in the past. And I like the, the idea of, it, you, you'd mentioned not just five people, but you also mentioned connections. How does connection fall into, uh, into this helping you really uh, stretch yourself out and not getting stale? Well, one of the interesting things, Steve, uh, one of the fellows that uh, read our book as it, as, as it was in formation was Dan Pink. Um, I think you know Danny sure. recently wrote a book, uh, To Sell as Human. And he said that our book was one that would sort of take you outside your comfort zone uh, because of our the practical approaches we had in here. And I think that's one of the things that is so important is for you to be willing to go a little beyond your comfort zone. I think we sometimes tend to get a little complacent in our jobs or we're in a position for a while and we think, you know, I'm just going to stay right here. I, I know what I'm doing in this particular job. But what we find is if the economy is changing this quickly, while there are going to be technological reductions in the workforce, there's opportunity too. So in order to stretch and be prepared for that opportunity, you really need some options. You need to have a good network. I think that's what we're talking about in this Five to Thrive. You want to, you want to have people that are going to give you a broader, more strategic view of your industry so that you're not just looking at what your company is doing, but what's happening in your industry. Where's my industry going? Mm-hmm. Uh, that gives you a good sense of whether that's going to be, whether you want to stay in that particular industry or whether you want to branch out a little left or right of that. Uh, you know, I think some of the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics data says today that we'll have 11 different jobs over our careers. So whether it's gigs or jobs, what we know is that the rate of change is going to be constant. I, I love your uh, use of the term gig because uh, if, if anybody's actually uh, paying attention, they should go uh, to a website called Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Oh, I love Fiverr. And uh, I I, I do too. I love Fiverr. And I'll tell you what I love so much about it. And for those of you that are in the corporate world and haven't really looked at this, you should go look and see at what's happening all over the world. Uh, People are literally selling uh, them their talents per job and they're calling it a gig. And I find that to be, uh, I see it more and more in the workplace. I see people really are looking for relationships and experience at work than I've ever seen before. Is that just my guess, or did your research confirm that that's going on as well? Oh, no, absolutely. In fact, Barbara and I are trading avatars right now that we had designed by an award-winning artist on Fiverr. So. Um, so we're, we're right in the midst of this ourselves. But 
we, here's what our research said that I think is really interesting. We surveyed over 5,500 people across 27 countries with the help of SAP success factors. And what we asked the question of executives, half of them were executives, do you plan on using more contract, part-time, flexible employees? And 83% of executives told us yes. The research was conducted by Oxford Economics, and they told us, we can't get 83% of executives to agree that the sun rises in the east. <laughs> so, that is an amazing statistic. And so, and since then, I've read another study that said 91%. So I think we all need to plan for, even when we think about who's our company, who's our workforce, right. that it's going to be an extended, extended way beyond the traditional boundaries of uh, an employee contract. That is and now you're touching awesome. on what got us all motivated in the first place to do this book, Steve, which is the sense that it is on you. If you're going to be responsible for your career, you know, as a manager or in an organization or as an entrepreneur, it's your development is on you. You're, you can't count on your boss for it anymore. You can't count on your organization to do it. You can't count on colleagues to help you. Uh, you really have to be looking out for yourself, particularly when you look at the changes coming down in the workplace. You know, that that's a, such a great point because uh, we, in my opinion, we've totally transitioned from uh, what I would call old school corporate life, meaning that uh, in old school corporate life, they would take you in and they would develop you and you would be, they expected you to be around for a long time. And so they'd invest a lot of money in you and they'd train you. What I'm seeing today is much, much less of that. Uh, people really don't get the training that they really need to be successful. And if you wait for somebody else to do it for you, you're probably going to get replaced by one of these part-time people that are willing to educate themselves and, and be able to do that job, are you not? Did you plan on writing the book with us next time? Because <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that would be a heck of an honor for me and a pain in the rear for you, but that's okay. Uh, but, you know, I do, I, I do understand that so many people today are looking in the wrong places for affirmation. And it, that, that brings me to my next point that I wanted to hear from you guys about. Uh, most of us that listen to this show, we're, we're trying to be a really good leader, a good manager. We want, we want to be interacting with our people. Uh, but, but yet even good uh, managers and leaders can, uh, can be guilty of holding people back. What did your research show in that? And what are some things that we need to be looking out for? Yeah, we did some interviews with um, a fellow who talks about, his name's uh, Robert Keegan, he talks about develop, deliberately developmental organizations. So these are uh, organizations where people really are making an effort to help other people flourish. Um, you might think of them as organizations that really create careers for people or help people create a career. So it means, it means changing your mindset a little bit, not just to be focused on, whatever the deliverable is that day, but how can I take somebody in my organization, somebody that perhaps reports to me, and give them a job assignment that's really going to help them grow? 
so that they'll be better prepared for the next promotion that comes down the line. So it's not, it is about shifting away from just the kind of production mindset to, to really having a longer view about people and about relationships. And, and I think you talked about that a little bit, Steve, about how people really want those relationships today. That's why networks are important and your five to thrive is important. But people really want managers that, that care about them, that are going to help them be successful. So there is so much room to make an impact and to feel really satisfied in, in your role um, in helping people develop their careers. Awesome. Steve, um, can, I, can I build on that? Cause, Absolutely. Know, Bar- Barbara did some really um, interesting research as well that I want to uh, talk about, and that's you know, what do we think of as a good boss and what do we think of as a bad boss? And maybe we need to look at that a little bit differently because maybe you'd call a, a person a good boss who you go to work, it's easy, they really pay attention to work-life balance, you make your, you know, you're not too stressed out at work because they're friendly, they're fun, they do great teamwork. But then maybe five years away you look at it and you go, whoa, what? I haven't made much progress in my career because that boss didn't stretch you. That boss didn't make you really go beyond your comfort zone. Now, another kind of boss, we might call a bad boss who seems nitpicky, everything has to be done again, just a little bit better, Um, you know, it stretches you to your absolute most. People talked about Steve Jobs this way, that he wasn't necessarily a great person to work for, although some people did find him a great person to work for. But they all said he stretched them. And so, you know, is that a bad boss? Now, now we think somebody that good bosses are career makers, and they come in all kinds of styles. That's a great, great point. Uh, Would I be, uh, would this be fair if I said this? Uh, a, A boss that's pushing you and you continue to grow, uh, even even if it's a bad boss, you're going to learn stuff. I get that. But let's say you've got a, a good boss, and, and yet they, that person sees potential in you and, and really believes that you have much more potential, but uh, they maybe you, they don't have an opening where you are. What would be your recommendation to that boss? What would you tell them? What would you do for that employee? Well, I think uh, one of the things that we found so important, Steve, is for people to gain a variety of experiences. I mean, that is really the way you prepare yourself, future-proof yourself, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. stay relevant at work. So if you really care about somebody and you don't see an opportunity in your team, letting them uh, jump onto another team for a project or letting them uh, take the lead on something that they haven't done before. It's just about really uh, uh, allowing people to sort of move across the organization, letting them stretch and, and, and pick up those extra skills and then come back to your team, just finding ways to, to really let people build that kind of portfolio of experiences. Uh, you, you know that line, when, when students start out of college, I couldn't help but think of it, you know, that uh, it, you don't have enough experience. It, it always <laughs> tends to, to, to log, log you after every interview. You know, well, I can't get the experience if I don't get the opportunity to get the experience. But when you're deeper in the workplace, you've really got to jump in and take those opportunities. You, you have to be more aggressive. I like to say you have to raise your hand 
volunteer for things. Um, and, you know, if, if you've got a good manager, that manager is going to volunteer you for things or, or, or let you know developmentally what you're going to learn by taking on this extra responsibility. I'm, I love that. I love that. Uh, I want to address one other question that I know that you've uh, addressed in the book and you've you've talked about, but I'd like to hear your thoughts now. Uh, it, it, a, a lot of managers and leaders today complain that they really uh, find it difficult to motivate people uh, to do a good job. What was your research in motivation and what are some suggestions maybe that you can give people for uh, motivating this rapidly changing diverse workforce? Well, I'm going to take a little bit of a controversial stance on this, Steve. So I love um, it. So get ready. I'm ready. <laughs> you know, all right. You know, a lot of the work that's been written about motivation has been, especially when it comes to engaged employees, has been about it's all on the boss. In fact, when you look at Gallup, they say if you've got a good boss, you're motivated. If you've got a bad boss, you're not motivated. And to me. Um, and to Barbara, this sounds kind of like saying, hey, if I'm in a marriage with someone, it's all on them to keep me motivated. It's all on them to keep me engaged. And that, of course, is ridiculous and unhealthy. So we think it's not all about the boss. The boss is an important factor, no doubt. But I think people own their own responsibility to stay motivated and engaged. If you are not motivated and engaged, move. Um, whether it means move to a different place, move to a different company, move to a different industry, move out of your career path that you're on. But I, I, I believe in the empowerment of the individual to be motivated and engaged. And so in our book, we focused on what are the things that you can do to be motivated and engaged as a person yourself. And we'll let, there's lots of other work that's out there on what leaders can do, but we focused on what you can do yourself. I love it. I don't. I don't know that that's very controversial from a standpoint that we all have to look internally for our motivation. What What I find is that so many of us, when we start talking about motivation, I think we confuse motivation with cheerleading. And I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of managers think they're supposed to be a cheerleader to people, and that has nothing to do with their core needs that'll motivate them. Uh, but it, it seems to me that we all, every one of us, could do a better job of asking questions and listening to what the other person actually said. That's certainly what happens in a great relationship. Absolutely. And then it really comes back to one of the themes that we heard over and over again, that it's really on you. So if you are not motivated where you are or you don't like your situation, then you really have to take responsibility uh, to either exit the relationship or find something else to do there that's going to bring you back in and make you feel connected again. I, just to tell you a tiny little story on the two of us, on Carrie mm -hmm. and I, as we were writing this book, we, you know, we live in different parts of the country, so we would meet at different places, and we met at this place um, in Texas, and the Wi-Fi was terrible, and we, you know, we had all of these documents and, all <laughs> in, you know, Dropbox and clouds and all over the place, and so we were sort of frustrated, and I went to the guy at the front desk, and I said, you know, the Wi-Fi doesn't work. He said, well, it's intentional. We want you to be able to relax while you're here. <laughs> and, I said, 
said to him, no, no, no. He said, I, he said, I'm really sorry that you have to work today. I'm so sorry that you have to work. We'd really prefer that you relax. And I said, I want you to know that I'm really excited about the work that I'm doing. We were excited about this book. We feel really committed about engagement at work. And so it was, it was part of our passion was to do this. So if you feel like that about work, then you're going to be motivated to do your best and to find the right situations for yourself. Um, if you're not, you know, if, if it is just that direct deposit uh, perspective, then, then you're not going to feel that same sense of engagement. I, I totally agree, and it's, it's such a great example uh, of, of how we really should approach life every day. Uh, and, and that's all of us. We take responsibility for ourselves, and, and I know that's what you're really getting at here is take responsibility for yourself. I, I do a lot of uh, executive coaching, and one of the things that, uh, that I can't work with is when somebody refuses to accept responsibility. When you give them data that says, hey, you're failing, and they look at you and say, well, it's not my problem. I'm, I'm not, I, I've never had this problem before, so it's not my problem. But everybody else says it is your problem. You have a problem. You have to accept responsibility. So if we're going to stretch ourselves, we have to be open to self-motivation. I totally get that, and I agree with it 100%. Uh, just in our remaining time, if you would, tell, uh, give us maybe two or three tips that we should uh, really take right away that we can begin to stretch ourselves and really take responsibility for our success. What would you recommend? Well, I'll give one right off the bat that, that I, I think is really helpful. Of course, we've already discussed five to thrive, so get your five to thrive. Um, you know, another one is look at the work that you've got going now. Um, how do you look at that work? Do you, do you have it as a to-do list? So it's just like a get it done kind of thing. Or another approach might be, I want to do it really well. Or a third approach might be, wow, this is a project that I could really learn something on and I, I, I need to learn while I'm doing it. Well, it turns out that how your mind is configured as you, as you approach your work will, will naturally have you learn more or less. So if, you're, if your thing in life is, I, I just get a whole bunch of work done, bang, 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 bang. I'm a really productive and efficient person. And you're probably limiting your opportunities to go learn. Whereas if you just think on this one project, I want to do it really well, just that mindset will make you think, well, what's good look like? And who else has done this before? And who might I go talk to? And if you really want to learn, you might go talk to an expert. You might take a course. You might do those things. So if you just look at what's on your list, just try and figure out one or two things that you want to do above the level of get it done in order to stretch yourself a little bit. Love that. Great, great tip for us. What else do you have? Well, Steve, I think the tip that I'll add to Carrie's, um, you know, uh, hers is such a great developmental tip. I'm going to go over on the interpersonal skills side because I think developing confidence in your interpersonal skills is one of the most challenging <laughs> issues we have to navigate at work. You know, sometimes we don't say the things that we're thinking. We don't communicate with our teams. So one of the things that has just makes a tremendous difference, and we talk about this in, in the book, is about learning to become comfortable with feedback. 
with both giving feedback and receiving feedback and how important that is. It's not, it sounds like a simple thing to do, but it isn't always simple. And, and getting proficient at it really makes a difference for managers. It can really make a difference it, for, for people who want to be career makers, really uh, uh, encourage skills in their folks. And these soft skills are so in demand. You know, we're talking about the changes in the workforce, the changes in the kinds of jobs that, that are going to be out there in the future. The one skill that is going to stay relevant and, and be consistent over time is the soft skills, the interpersonal skills. So the better that you can get at delivering that and delivering it in a way that people take it and integrate it, and when people give you feedback that you don't hear the negative part of it but that you hear the growth part of it, that can make a huge difference uh, in your career. Amen. That's that's awesome. Great, great tips. Uh, well, Carrie and Barbara, uh, how I know people are going to want to connect with you and your work. Uh, how would you recommend that they best connect with you guys? Well, on Twitter, I'm at Angler because I fly fish, and Barbara is at Barbara Mystic, so we're both on Twitter. And we have a, a website called stretchthebook.com. So they can, and you can download Chapter 1 for free. Awesome. And uh, guys, for those of you that are uh, exercising right now while you're listening uh, to this broadcast, I'll make sure that I put uh, links in the show notes for you so that you can go directly uh, to Carrie and Barbara's website. Uh, our guests today have been Carrie Williard and Barbara Mystic, co-authors of Stretch, How to Future-Proof Yourself for Tomorrow's Workplace. I believe they're, they've done remarkable work here that all of us can learn from. So I want to encourage you to make sure you go get your copy of this book and study it because we are living in a day and age where we all are faced with uncertainty and we need to know how we can be better prepared tomorrow than we are today. Carrie and Barbara, thank you so much for being on our show today. It's been delightful to talk with you. I appreciate all of the hard work that went into you guys producing this great work. Thank you, Steve. Keep stretching. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Appreciate the Thanks. time with Thanks. you and your audience. My pleasure. Steve here, and one last reminder. I want to thank you for listening to the show, and I want to encourage you, go over to mojouniversity.com. Before you forget it, make sure you sign up for our training site, and let me be your teacher this year. I promise you, you're going to be successful. You're going to love it. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up today. <music>